0: I'm sure many of you have seen uh, the Peanuts comics, and one of the recurring things that happens in Peanuts is that uh, Lucy has this little uh, psych- psychiatry booth offering people, it looks like a lemonade stand, like instead of a kid having a lemonade stand, it looks like you know how one would look, and it's Lucy sitting there uh, offering psychiatric help for five cents, and it says the doctor is in. And so often Charlie Brown or other characters would come to Lucy and be trying to get, you know, advice from her. And one example was Charlie Brown came and said, I have deep feelings of depression. What can I do about this? And she just says, snap out of it. Five cents, please. Uh, So pretty pretty easy uh, advice, I guess. Pretty quick uh, counseling session. Uh, But her advice is usually pretty useless and makes her clients feel worse. And there's another, there's a skit by Bob Newhart, I think it might have happened on Mad TV or some some channel, I don't know where the original is, but you maybe even heard about it, uh, that he's this psychiatrist uh, or counselor therapist, and somebody comes into his office and he says, well, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. And the woman in the office says, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. I just start thinking about being buried alive alive, and I begin to panic, and he, he says, okay, um, I've got a really simple solution for you. Like, are, are you ready for it? She's like, yeah, I'm ready. Gets her pen and paper out. And then he just says, stop it. And, and she's like, wait, what, stop it? Like, just, just stop it? Yeah, stop it. Uh, you don't want to be a, buried alive in a box and thinking about that all the time. That sounds terrifying, doesn't it? And she's like, yeah. And he says, so stop it. And that's his advice to her. She's coming, bringing her feelings, letting him in on it. And uh, she just says, stop it. And hopefully we can see how this would probably be bad listening and a bad way of helping these people with their problems. And yet we've all experienced something like this to a degree, maybe not that extreme, but to a degree. And we've, if we're honest, we've all done it to people as well, is that somebody comes to us with their feelings or with their problems and we jump into, well, stop it, just stop doing that, stop feeling that way, like, here's how I can fix this so you can move on and not be feeling that way anymore. And we jump to fixing. And, but when we've been listened to, we feel heard, seen, and unknown. But when we just jump to stop it, the person is like, well, are they really hearing me? Are they hearing what I'm doing? And when someone has taken the time to understand what's going on for us, we no longer feel alone because someone else is with it in us. They get what it's like uh, to be me. And this whole series is called The Joy of Being Loved. And we've been talking about how we were made for the joy of being loved by God, no matter what. We are created with that desire for joy, and that that joy is fulfilled when we are loved, no matter what, uh, primarily by God, but then also through each other. And joy is how love feels. It's very relational. It says, I'm glad to be with you. I like you. I want to be in this with you, no matter what. And if you imagine all of us having kind of like a little joy tank, uh, like a gas tank on us, and that joy tank can either be filled up, or it can be drained out. And these next two weeks, we're going to talk about two things that are leaks in that tank. It's like last week we talked about Well, what happens when our joy is low, and when our joy is low, we settle for pseudo-joys. We settle for less than God himself. When we don't have that relational joy from God or others, we settle for things we would maybe call addictions, like TV or alcohol or drugs or pornography, and we settle, and even other everyday things, more like, you know, eating or getting things done. Like, we don't have this joy, and so we try to find it in another place um, through things that we hope will bring us joy. And so these next two weeks are like, last week, it's this is what happens when the joy tank is low, but how does the joy tank get low? And it gets low by uh, two leaks. And the one we're talking about today is difficult emotions. And one l- list that someone made up, uh, call, they call it the big six emotions of sadness, anger, Fear, shame, disgust, and despair. In case you want to write it down, I'll I'll name them. I'll read them off again. So, big six difficult emotions: sadness, anger, fear, shame, disgust, and despair. And our goal isn't to stop having these emotions. That's like kind of an impossible goal. But the goal is to find our way back to joy while we are in them, so that we are both sad and joyful. And you might be like, well, how does that even work? Um, This past fall, I might have shared before, I don't remember if I have, but my grandma died that I was really close to, and my experience of that funeral was there was both joy and sadness, people laughing and sharing stories, and crying as you're sharing these stories, and remembering grandma and who she, she was to all of us. And so there's an experience of both joy and sadness, that we were in that feeling together, and we were going through it together, and we were able to hold each other in it, and comfort each other, even while we're feeling sad, but also joyful as well. And so we want to have these emotions uh, and find our way to joy while feeling them. And these are often connected to suffering. And when we're suffering, uh, we tend to kind of act like a different person. If you ever think about, maybe you come home one day uh, from work or just interact with friends or maybe even at work, somebody's like, whoa, like you're kind of blowing up at us. And it's like, I'm sorry, I just had a really stressful day, I had a really bad day. And it's like that stress that, if you want to call it pain or suffering or hardship, kind of makes us into a different person. Like, what's gotten into you? I had a stressful day. And it's like, you're not acting like who you normally act like. And we would blame it on some sort of suffering or pain or challenge or hardship. And the goal is to find our way to joy while feeling these so that we can continue to be the kind of person that God made us to be, so that we don't become someone else when we're stressed or challenged or suffering even so, so to be who God made us to be, even when we're hurting. And today is about joy and uh, getting back to joy from those big emotions. And it's a huge theme in the Bible of having big emotions, those difficult emotions, and joy, that while you're suffering, you're also joyful. It's all throughout Scripture. So I just want to ask you this question for just for you to think about, not to answer out loud. But is it okay to have feelings? Is it okay to have feelings. And probably all of us would say, of course, yeah, of course it's okay to have feelings. But the reality is that we tend to act like it's not okay to have feelings. Uh, And we, you know, are feelings ever bad? Does God want to hear how you feel? Is it okay to have feelings? And I think we'd all say yes, and yet we tend to live and act like it's not okay to have feelings. And so we're just going to, we're going to go through a, several passages of scripture. Most of them are going to be, we're not going to flip to them because we're just going to reference them, but we're going to be, eventually be in Genesis 16, which is on page 11 that we read before. But we just want to make a couple points about feelings. First is that God made us with feelings like him. First point, God made us with feelings like him. Genesis 1.26, we're told God made us in his image and likeness, and we have feelings. Those weren't part of uh, us Turning away from God, that we all of a sudden got feelings, but God made us in His image and likeness with feelings. So Genesis one twenty six tells us we're made in His image and likeness. Psalm one thirty nine verse fourteen we are awesomely and wonderfully made, and this is you know Genesis one twenty six is before Adam and Eve turned away from God and sin entered the world, but uh, Psalm one thirty nine verse fourteen this is after all all the bad stuff in the world has happened after sin is in the world, and this is a guy named David saying I am awesome. And wonderfully made by God. And we see in Scripture that God feels. God feels anger. God feels sadness. God feels joy. And so we're like Him and we have feelings, but there is differences between how God's feelings work and how our feelings work, because God's feelings are always perfectly appropriate to the situation. You know, sometimes we have oversized reactions to things. You know, some little thing, and we have this big blow-up of anger, and it's like, well, that was Disproportionate to what happened. My feeling was disproportionate to the thing that happened. But God has perfect feelings. He always feels the exact, perfect, appropriate feeling for that situation. And also, God, nobody makes God feel anything. And there's you know quotes. My mom had one. Or I don't know what it is. But there's magnets you can get where it's like no one can make you feel blank. But is that really true? I mean, <laughs> I can. I think we go throughout our day and we feel like. Somebody did something and all of a sudden I feel a certain way and it's like I had hardly any control over it. There's just like this instant response in me. And of course nobody is like going inside my chest and saying, you be angry now, you be sad now. But there is almost to a degree where it feels like things can make us feel a certain way. Like that made me sad. Like it just happened. It was just my immediate reaction. But nobody makes God feel anything. God's feelings always come from himself, not from the outside in, making him feel a certain way. So first, is it okay to have feelings? Yes, our feelings reflect what God is like. We have a God who feels. Feelings are a gift from a feeling God. Feelings are a gift from a feeling God. And so God doesn't despise a gift that he gave us. If he gave it to us, he doesn't now despise us for having it. Secondly, first, God made us with feelings like him. Secondly, God moves toward us in our feelings. God moves toward us in our feelings. And here's where we're going to open Genesis chapter 16. This is a very, very old story. It's on page 11 of the Black Bibles if you're using those. Very, very old story. Um, Way back toward the beginning of when God is beginning his plan to save us is that there's this couple named Abram and Sarai. Later they get their names changed to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, But God chooses these two and he says, okay, this whole world is filled with the curse of What happens when you turn away from me? But look, I'm going to bring blessing back to this world, and it's going to be through you, Abram and Sarai. I'm going to make you into a a family of multitudes. Look at the stars. You can't even count how many kids you're going to have, how many people are going to be counted into your family. And, of course, they're kind of like, well, that sounds great, God, but we've been going at this for a long time, and we still haven't gotten pregnant, and now we're old. Like, how is that going to happen? And God says, no, I'm going to give you a kid. It's going to happen And you're going to have more people in your family than you can even count. And that has been fulfilled. If you look at Galatians, Book of Galatians and other places in the New Testament, saying like everyone who trusts in Jesus is now by faith like our forefather Abraham, the man of faith. And so now we enter God's promises through faith just like Abraham. So anybody who has trusted in Jesus, anybody who would call themselves part of the people of Israel because Abraham's family grows into the people of Israel, that's made up of his family. Well, what happens is that they get a little impatient. Abram and his wife get impatient. Well, God doesn't seem to be getting us pregnant here. Um, and so they have this idea of like, well, maybe you should sleep with my servant, sleep with her. And maybe that's how God wanted us to have kids. Like, you know, she's my servant and I'm obviously, this isn't working for us. So you sleep with her and maybe that's how we'll get a kid for this family. Maybe, that, maybe that's how God's going to bring it about. And so Abram sleeps with Hagar, uh, Sarai's servant and then Hagar becomes pregnant and then she has a kid named Ishmael and then Sarai all of a sudden realizes what a bad plan this is because she's like well that's what I want to be, I want to be the one with the baby and they have this thing where uh, she's like you've got to get rid of her you know, she's you know looking down on me and Abram's like well do what you want with her and so basically what they do is uh, Sarai uses then abuses Hagar that's what happens in verses 1-6 through 6 of Genesis 16 he, She uses Hagar and then abuses her, treats her poorly. But then in verses 7 through 12, God finds Hagar. Hagar runs away and God finds her. And she has this experience with God where he's just getting down on her level, meeting her where she's at and what she's feeling. Look at verse 7, Genesis chapter 16. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. And of course, God knows all this already, but he's letting her say it so that she can let him in on it. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So Hagar, or God finds Hagar, and then he says, like, I know what's been going on. I want you to return. We'll come back to why does he say return. Uh, and then he has these words, says to her, you're going to have this son named Ishmael. And uh, if my Bible has a little note on the bottom that says uh, Ishmael um, means um, God hears. So you should call him Ishmael, you should call his name God hears, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. That she has this thing going on in her life, this pain, and God has listened to her, and now she's going to name her son. So every time she says the word Ishmael, calls his name, she's going to remember, God heard me. When I ran away, God was there for me, and he was with me in what was going on for me. And then God you know, God tells Hagar, name him Ishmael, but then Hagar names God Verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen who, him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy, lies between Kadesh and Bered. And so she says, you are a God of seeing. Uh, why? And she said, truly uh, here I have seen him who looks after me. She has this experience of God himself looking after her. You're a God who hears me. your God of seeing. And then the well gets named Bir Lahai Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. And so Hagar has this very um, important experience with God where she sees God comes to her and is looking after her and says, I see you, I hear you, I know what's going on for you. But then, interestingly, sends her back. And we might be like, well, why would God send her back into this difficult situation? He says, go back and submit to Sarai. He doesn't take her out of her affliction, but he enables her to handle her suffering by making her feel seen, heard, known, looked at. (coughs) And when our pain is unknown, we feel alone. But now she's not alone anymore. And so instead of having to run from her pain, now she can, in the midst of it, know, God sees me, he hears me, he knows what's going on, and he's with me in this. And this isn't uncommon just to Hagar. Uh, this is, you also see this in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, and all over the Bible. But just as an example, um, I'll read just those three verses, but it's page 46 for using the Black Bibles. But this is fast-forwarding maybe like, I don't know, four or 500 years. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. And Exodus is like we look back to the cross. The people of Israel look back to the Exodus when God took them out of the nation of Egypt, led them through the Red Sea, brought them to Mount Sinai, gave them the Ten Commandments, and they would look back. That was our salvation event. That's when everything happened for us, just like we look back to the cross. But what motivates God to do this? We see in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, Then the, this is him talking to Moses who he's wanting to use to lead the people out. The Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. And so God is saying, he's responding to their affliction, to them crying out uh, to the suffering of his people. His motivation for rescuing them is, I've heard your suffering, and I'm coming down to do something about it. And some people will point out how this very much mirrors how a mother hears their child crying. It's like, you know, sometimes one of the... You know, I like to sleep through all these cries in the night, and Katie wakes up to all of them, and sometimes she has to nudge me to go do something, but it's like she can't rest if the, a baby's crying. It's like God hearing the cries of his people and responding with compassion to... Do something about it. And so God made us with feelings like him. And he moves toward us in our feelings. So is it okay to have feelings? Yes. Our feelings draw God toward us. Our feelings draw God toward us. And next, God invites us to bring our feelings to him. God invites us to bring our feelings to him. And you see this throughout the Psalms. The Psalms are... Uh, mo- many of the other books in the Bible are God saying things to his people. And the Psalms are about God's people saying things to their God that is directed towards him. And in the Psalms you see this full range of emotions, including the big six that we talked about. Sadness, anger, fear, shame, disgust, despair. And it's, the Psalms show us the kind of things God wants us to bring to him. I want you to bring all that to me. Your happiness and your joy, but also all things. Your anger, your sadness, your despair. Bring them all to me. Just, I'm just going to read a couple examples. Psalm 62.8 says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. So Psalm 62.8 saying, Pour out your heart before God. Whatever is inside you that you're feeling, that you're holding in, just pour it out to Him. And then it says, What is He going to be to us? He's going to be a refuge. In that feeling, God is a refuge for us. God invites us to bring everything we feel to Him including anger, sadness, and disappointment, with God himself, that God invites us to come to him, even if we're angry with him, dissatisfied with him, disappointed with him. Like, God, I don't even know what to believe anymore. What is going on with my life? Like, why is this happening? What have I done to deserve this? God wants us to bring that to him. He doesn't want us to hold it in and not talk to him about it. And the Psalms are proof of that. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen. just one other example. Psalm thirty-four eighteen, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That so when your heart is breaking, you feel crushed, that you can't go on anymore. It says, God is near to the brokenhearted, to the crushed in spirit. He's not like those <laughs> Lucy from Peanuts. Just stop it. Stop yeah. feeling that. <laughs> no, he's near to the brokenhearted and to the crushed in spirit. And so is it okay to have feelings? Yes. Our feelings are welcome in God's presence. God wants us to bring them to him. Lastly, before we consider how to make this personal, Jesus is our perfect picture of God. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. In John 14.9, one of Jesus' disciples says, Jesus, just show us the Father. Show us God the Father in heaven, and that will be enough for us. And he says, Uh, I've been with you this whole time and whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So when you look at Jesus and how he interacts with people in the Bible, you are seeing what God is like because he's a full and complete and perfect picture of God. He's fully God and he's fully human, including all the feelings that go with both of those things. And so you can look at Jesus as like, Jesus is always responding with the perfectly appropriate feeling for the situation. And he shows us that Feelings are not bad. If it's like he's the perfect human, he should never feel stuff. No, and Jesus is the perfect human who feels perfectly what he ought to feel in any given circumstance. There's a book that was written a while ago called The Emotional Life of Our Lord, looking at all the things Jesus felt. And this book states that compassion is the emotion most frequently attributed to, to Jesus. Compassion is he's most often described as being compassionate. How he feels, and compassion includes an internal feeling of pity, of desiring to help somebody, of your heart going out to somebody, but also an external act of relieving whatever misery this person is in. So he often has these situations where he sees somebody in pain, and then he feels compassion, and then he does something about it. One example is Mark one forty-one. He sees this leper, somebody just covered with this skin disease, and the leper says, "I want you to help me," and then he's moved with compassion. And he he helps them. Another example is Luke 7.13. He's just going on his way and he sees this funeral procession happening where there's this mom who's a widow who lost her only son. And he has compassion on her. And so he goes up and he raises her son from the dead. And so he is moved with compassion. And so Jesus moves toward the hurting and the humble. He's drawn toward sinners and sufferers. And he's the perfect picture of what God is like. Jesus gravitates toward brokenhearted, crushed in spirit, mourning weary, burdened people. He's attracted to them like a bee to a flower that Jesus is drawn towards us. And I just wanted to share, if this is kind of a hard thing, a new thing for you, like, I, how, why would Jesus ever come near me? Like, I'm so messed up. I've got all this stuff going on. I'm not good company. Um, this book was really helpful for me. It's called Gentle and Lowly. And it's The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I just wanted to read you one little part of it, and so I would re- highly recommend the top, top five books I would ever recommend somebody to read in their lifetime. This would be one of them. It's called Gentle and Lowly. And so this, he makes this point. He says, The cumulative testimony of the four Gospels, referring to the, the four accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct, is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. And this book, just over and over again, it basically makes that point from different angles. He says, like, I want to just take Jesus' heart and turn it like a diamond and keep just looking at it from different angles. And over and over again, you're just convinced um, that Jesus isn't disgusted by me. He moves towards me in my sin, even in my sin, even when I'm messing up and doing what I'm not supposed to. He's moving towards me in my suffering. He's not like... Just get over it. It's been two years. Why are you still crying about this? Why are you still holding on to this? No, he doesn't. he doesn't do that. He moves towards us with gentleness and compassion and love in our situation. So making it personal. Is it okay to have feelings? Yes. God made us with feelings. He moves towards us in our feelings. He invites us to bring our feelings to him. And Jesus is the best picture of how God responds to us in our feelings. And I just want us to say this together, uh, just saying the words, it's okay to have feelings. Can we just say that together? It's okay to have feelings. Maybe even say it to the person next to you. It's okay to have feelings. It's okay to have feelings. And God, this word, Connor used a little earlier, this word uh, called attuning, that uh, for if someone's attuning to you, uh, they're attuning to what's going on for you. It's like they're tuning in, like, you know, maybe I have anger going on or fear or sadness, or I'm just like feeling overwhelmed. And somebody to attune to me would mean they're tuning in to what's going on for me, how I'm feeling, uh, how I'm doing. Somebody and God attunes to what's going on for us. And this is important because attunement is the primary way we give and receive love. And so if we want to feel loved by God. We need to experience Him attuning to what's going on for us, what it's like to be me, um, how it's going, how life's going. And if we hide our feelings and don't let others in, don't uh, let God in, uh, we just are keeping ourselves from the joy of being loved. Because it's only if we let others in, if we, if we show them our feelings, we're, if we hide them, we're keeping a part of us hidden that cannot be loved. And we need somebody to be with us in our pain, in our suffering, in our difficult emotions and feelings. And unless we let others in, our connection with them will be weak. So I just want to end with three ways that you can let others in. And the first is pay attention to your emotions. How do you let others in? First, you pay attention to your emotions. Especially strong emotions. Anger, fear, (coughs) shame, sadness, grief, excitement, joy, happiness, passion. And we can often just dismiss it like... We kind of do a mind over matter thing. Like, oh, my body's responding with fear. My body's responding with anger. And we try to be like, you know, just push through it. Uh, Don't pay attention to that. Just push that down and push through. And we try to dismiss our emotions so many times. Um, And we do this because, uh, I don't know, we feel like it's too vulnerable, that it's revealing something inside of us that we don't want other people to see inside of us. Or we're like, it's just kind of a waste of time. I have too much to do. I can't feel right now. I've got to move on and do the important things of life. And feeling isn't one of those, and they're kind of in the way. And this book, uh, I've just, this is like a short book called Side by Side Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love, and there's just so many, so much helpful (coughs) stuff in here. I want to read what he says about um, feelings. This is a guy who um, is a, would refer to himself as a biblical counselor, where he meets with people like a therapist, talks through them with their issues, but also is bringing the Bible into that situation that they're in. And he says this our emotions are our first response to the world around us. They appear without any apparent thought, yet they are much more than mere reactions in that they say more about us than they do about our circumstances. Our emotions, it turns out, reveal what is most dear to us. And that's why our emotions identify us. They are us. We recognize our friends by their passions and emotional responses. When our friends' emotions <coughs> are blunted by a head injury or <coughs> intensified by side effects of medication, we say that they are not themselves. Our emotions point out those things that are most important to us. And when happy, we possess something we love. When anxious, something we love is at risk. When despondent, something we love has been lost. When angry, something we love is being stolen or kept from us. That's what he says. Our emotions <coughs> reveal what is most dear to us. They point out what's most important to us. And they say much more about us than about our circumstances. And you probably see, and you'll see some people super bothered by something. Like maybe there's something you're super bothered by and you're like, why aren't you guys bothered by this? And it's like, yeah, I don't know. But it's saying something not about those circumstances but about you. Like Why is that important to you? Why is that bringing this feeling to the surface? And so pay attention to what you're feeling and then ask, why am I feeling this right now? Why am I ang- so angry right now? Why am I so afraid right now? Uh, why am I despairing right now? What, where, Where's that coming from? And it's pointing out something very important about yourself. And feelings, we hide them, tend to hide them because they reveal what's important to us. They reveal our neediness. They reveal areas of pain. And so we hide them because all that stuff is very vulnerable. To tell someone what's most important to you, to tell someone what you need, where you're falling short, and to tell somebody uh, what pain you have in your life is very vulnerable. So we want to hide those feelings. Because if somebody sees them, then they know this thing that's deep inside of me. And So first, how to let others in. Pay attention to your emotions. Second, let God in. Which means bring them to God. And God is glad to be with us no matter what we're feeling. Sadness, anger, fear, shame, disgust, despair. And even if those feelings are about Him, and so we can be real with God about how we feel, about how angry we are, about how afraid we are, about how I'm despairing. I'm hopeless here, God. I don't know what to do. And I wonder, just thinking to yourself, do you ever say to God, I just feel scared right now. I just feel so angry. Why would they do that? Well, I'm just so sad, God. I don't know what to do. Have you ever said those things to God, telling him what you're feeling? And perhaps you're familiar with... Uh, a prayer format called Acts prayer, and each of the letters stands for something. So, if you're praying to God, and you first do adoration, and then C confession, and then T thanksgiving, and then S supplication, which is basically a fancy word for asking for help. And I think actually, what m- might help our prayer life is maybe making facts prayer. I know it's kind of weird because we're talking about feelings, but facts prayer. We put the F first and saying, God, I feel sad. God. I feel scared. And we have these little prompts that we do with Hudson. We taught him this, this prayer format. But we have little prompts. So the first would be, God, I feel. So be mm-hmm. F in facts. God, I feel sad. I feel scared. Second A is, God, you are. And so it's like, I feel sad. God, you are so good. God, you're in control. God, you can handle this. God, you have me. And then C would be, God, I'm sorry. So it's, God, I feel. God, you are. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm, I'm sorry that I took my anger out on this person, that I'm scared about this thing and I wasn't treating my spouse or my kids or my friend the way I should be. And so we're confessing, God, I'm sorry. And then T is, God, thank you. God, thank you for forgiving me. When I confess, you forgive me. God, thank you for being with me in this. Thank you for never leaving me or forsaking me. And then finally we get to S. God, I feel. God, you are. God, I'm sorry. God, thank you. God, please help. And usually that's where we start, right? (laughs) Right? God, I need to get, it's, it's bedtime, I need to get all my prayer requests out to you. I've got to pray for all those people on my mind, get asking for all the to-dos, and that's often what our prayer life can become, giving God a to-do list, instead of bringing our true self to him. God, I feel how you are in the midst of this. You are still good. God, I'm sorry for doing this. God, thank you. And then God, please help. And if you get to that please help one after doing all those other ones, it really changes what you start praying for. Because now it's like, God, please help me to be kind to my kids, even when I'm stressed. God, please help me to be the kind of person you want me to be. And you can just go through those and pray to God. And God, joy says, I'm glad to be with you. And the joy of being loved comes from someone glad to be with us in our feelings. And that's how we can find our way to joy in the midst of those difficult emotions because someone else is glad to be with us. We're no longer alone. When someone's with us, now we can get to joy from our fear and anger and sadness and our shame And I've just found it helpful. Um, Hebrews 4:14 4, through 16 says, "Jesus knows what it's like to be us." Hebrews 4:14 4, through16. And so I find it helpful to just fill in the blank. Jesus knows what it's like to blame. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. And I try to think about stories in the Bible. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like to be alone when he most needed people to be with him. Jesus knows what it's like to go through suffering. And it helps me to be like, okay, I'm not alone in this. Jesus knows what it's like to be me right now. And so whether it's anger, grief, overwhelmed, betrayed, misunderstood, Jesus is with us in this. He knows how it feels. We're not unknown or alone. And lastly, let others in. God's people are his delivery system for his care. And here's how Connor wrote it. So I... I told him I would share it, so credit has been given. He said, God is there for us through people who are there for us. Isn't that a great line? (laughs) God is there for us through people who are there for us. And God often delivers his care, his presence, his love to another person, through someone who's made in his image and likeness and that they can now express, it's okay to be feeling this way, I'm glad to be with you. And so... We find our way to joy by letting others in. we pay attention to our emotions, we let God in and we let others in and just quickly, I want to give a few to do's when others let you in if you if somebody gives you the privilege of bringing their real letting you in and bringing their emotions to you uh, here's some what you should do when others let you in first don't say at least <laughs> trying to make it less bad <laughs> right We say like, well, at least you still have your other leg right or well uh, at least, you know, this, you know, we tend to try to make something less bad instead of saying, like, yeah, I hear how you feel. I'm seeing what it's like to be you. We try to make them feel less bad so they feel less of what they're feeling. Second, don't say, right away at least, what lesson is God teaching you? Because, right, we say, like, well, God uses everything for a good, right? That is true in the Bible, Romans 8. Um, but we often jump there too quickly in saying, like, what's God trying to teach you in this? And it's like, I don't know. I just feel terrible and I don't want to be alone in it. And eventually that's a very important question to ask and for us to be asking ourselves, but in that moment of like somebody crying is probably not the moment. Third, don't try to fix it. Don't try to fix how they're feeling. And the problem with with all of these is it's saying that I'm not glad to be with you while you're feeling this way. I want to get you to feel a different way. It's like you're feeling super sad, like let me make you feel less sad. I don't want to be with you in your sadness. I want to give you an at least. I want to fix it. I want to find the lesson so you can get out of that sadness or out of that anger, out of that despair. And we're saying to somebody, I'm not glad to be with you right now. I'd like to change your emotional state so I can handle being with you. And it's like, I'm glad to be with you no matter how you're feeling. So what you can do, those are three don'ts, do seek to understand what's going on for them, what it's like to be them. Name the feeling and how big it is. And express understanding. It makes sense. I can see why you're feeling that way. I can see why you're so sad, and it's entering into somebody's emotional world with compassion. And by the way, you can care for someone and understand what it's like to be them without agreeing with the why. Like they might have a whole crazy interpretation of a situation. And you're like, man, that they're just kind of blowing. You know, they're kind of like going down a, a cycle of uh, assuming how what these people think about them or what they feel about them, and they're feeling super sad about that. And it's like, well. You don't have to agree with why they're feeling that sad. Because it's like, well, you're feeling sad because you're telling a story that none of these people like you, but it's not based on anything. And you can know that and see that but you, and not agree with that, but you can still say, I'm understanding why you'd be feeling that way. If everybody, if nobody likes you, I, I understand why that would feel very sad Why you're feeling it so big right now. And so we are a people who don't hide how we're really doing We let God in, and we let others in. And it's hard work on both ends. To let others in, it's scary. And then also, when someone lets you in, to respond with compassion and attuning to what's going on for them. Let's pray. Father, you are God who feels. You made us with feelings, and you invite us to bring our feelings to you. So would you make us a people who let you in and who let each other in. And would you make us a people who don't do it wrong when somebody lets us in? Would you let us take the honor seriously when somebody opens up to us? And would you keep us from saying things that are basically saying stop it, stop feeling that way? Would you help us to be glad to be with the other person in their feelings, no matter what they're feeling? In Son's name we pray. Amen.